in the name of Jesus. Lord, You are power. And so we come to You as weak people with little strength, knowing that only You can satisfy our need. But beyond that, Lord, You don't just satisfy our need. You are the very satisfaction. Lord, would You turn our affections from the things of this world, from using You as a genie, to submitting to You because You're a king. Because You're Jesus. And so, Lord, we submit our marriages knowing that there's pleasure in Jesus if our marriages are falling apart. So we submit our children to You knowing that there's pleasure in Jesus even when our kids are wayward and breaking our hearts. We submit our addictions to you, knowing that there's pleasure in Jesus, even if we can't get a hold on more than two days. There's power to break every chain, but Lord, there's pleasure in Jesus evermore. Give us that pleasure. Remind us of yourself. Stir our affections for you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well done. So glad you're here. So glad you're all here. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a home that had a desire for me to know about the Bible. So about four or five, maybe six times, they sent me to church. Not any that they would go to, but they sent me. And that church ensured that I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. It was as if they systematically programmed it that way. I never called it a church. I I called it an insane asylum. It was one of those where they were just kind of running into walls, like literally. Literally. And I just, I just wanted nothing to do with it. I literally remember having this thought at around six years old. I thought to myself, if this is what it means to be filled with God, I want nothing to do with it. Now, I wonder if any of you had that experience growing up. Maybe not like the insane asylum I talked about, but maybe you went to a place that it just bored you to tears. Or maybe you went to a place where it seemed like it seemed like the hypocrisy was on high. Or maybe you went to a place where in some way the desire for Jesus was taken from you. It wasn't until later on in life that I actually started to pursue Christ. I was an atheist most of my life. Well, agnostic, really. And then eventually graduated into atheism. And then 
by a series of events, I started to look towards Jesus. And as I looked towards Jesus, I was amazed. Um, Amazed at this Bible, but not in a good way. I was blown away about how crazy this book is. It's crazy. Six days of creation? Really? A guy hits a body of water with a stick? And it parts for over a mile and a half? A man lives in a whale. Doesn't actually say a whale. Says a big fish. But let's say a whale. For three whole days? Donkeys talking, axes floating. I, I, it's, it's a joke. The goose on me. Why am I even reading this ridiculous mythology? But for reasons that I can't explain, I kept on coming to church. I kept on gathering with the believers. I kept on looking to see if there's any truth. And then, one day I'm traveling on the BQE. As I'm traveling on the BQE, I uh, have this thought of the apostles who I was taught died because Christ resurrected from the dead. Every one of them, with the exception of one, John, who was boiled in oil and didn't die. And they had this law about double jeopardy. You know, you can't get sentenced twice for the same thing. So they sent them to an island called Patmos afterwards. And he died in that prison island. But other than him, every one of them died. See, Christianity doesn't rise or fall based upon my logic. Christianity doesn't rise and fall even based upon the Bible. Christianity rises and falls on one moment in history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Christianity will either be Christianity or it will be the... Paul says, if Jesus has not rose from the dead, then we are most to be pitied. Then you and me are most to be laughed at. Did Jesus rise from the dead? And so today, as we close our series called No Doubt, we're going to look at a man who unfortunately has a title in front of his name, more so than any other apostle. They called him Doubting. His name is Tommy. You might have heard of him. And Tommy was an amazing apostle. 
actually, if you want to know anything about Tommy, all you have to do is go into the book of John. If you go into the book of John and uh, look into the uh, two particular verses, there's actually three different places where Thomas is spoken about. In everywhere else in the Bible, he's not spoken about at all. Awkward moments are always difficult to deal with. Back to Thomas. Tommy is not spoken about anywhere else in the Bible. Other than to name him in lists. Like, you know, all oh, the twelve apostles and then they'll name each one and Thomas will be there. But in the book of John, everything you're going to know about Thomas is talked about. So let me give you a quick snapshot of who Thomas is because I think he's gotten a bum rap throughout history. I love Thomas. In John chapter, I think it's 11, Thomas goes to Jesus or goes to the disciples and he says, Jesus is going to go back to raise Lazarus from the dead because Lazarus has just died. And Jesus says, I'm going to go back. And Thomas says, let's go with him. Because they know that he's going to be killed or they know that he's going to be attacked because he has lots of enemies in the town. And Thomas goes to the guys. He goes, come on, guys. Let's go with him and die with him. True story. He says it in John chapter 11. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know what that strikes me as? It strikes me as a passionate person. Bold person. A person who's willing to take risks for Jesus. A guy who loves Jesus and is even prepared to die for him. In John chapter 14, Thomas is the only guy who's brave enough to ask Jesus this question. And he says this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is bold. Thomas is, is unafraid. Thomas is desiring to follow Jesus. That's who Thomas is. And so by the time we get to the very end of John's book, the climax of John's book is with Thomas. Interesting, right? Now, I want you to know, John ends his book just the way he starts it. We'll find more about that in a minute. But this, many scholars believe, is the last chapter that John the Apostle actually wrote. Even though there's one more chapter after this, they believe his disciples, John's disciples, that is, wrote the other chapter. Now, that shouldn't disturb us, because there's plenty of places in the Bible where someone, uh, 
uh, there's an author of the book, and then there's editors afterwards. Not editors, maybe that's the wrong word. There are disciples that finish off. Let me give you at least one example. You don't have to look at it. It's not in your thing. And I know some of you are looking like, oh no, the Bible is not... No, relax. I'm a Bible believer. Relax. Do you know Moses wrote, tradition holds, and I believe, Moses wrote the five books, uh, first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But do you know that part... Um, yeah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But do you know that part in the Pentateuch where it says that Moses died and then they took his bones up into the mountain? You don't think Moses wrote that, do you? Never, never dawned on you, right? Yeah. Well, obviously he didn't write that. And then a, a person, one of his disciples came along. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know why? Because God is sovereign. And he anointed that person to write what was going to be said. Now, we trust the Bible. We know the Bible's inerrant. We know it's inspired word of God. And there are certain books of the Bible we have no idea who the author was. But we trust that the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. And so, this is John's climax to the Bible. Is that okay? Is everybody still nervous? Are we alright with that? Okay. And so finally, said, well, John didn't finish chapter 21. And? No big deal. If anybody ever says that to you, it's no big deal. Not that anybody would really know that. You'd only find that if you came here. So we're going to read this together. I'm going to stay seated down, but I'm going to ask you guys to stand. But no, I'm standing in my heart. Okay? All right. You know what? I'll stand with you. We're going to read it together on a count of three, okay? Everybody ready? Now, Thomas, one, two, three. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you, 
may have life in his name. May God bless the hearing, reading, and doing of his word. Please have a seat. Now guys, big deal. The author of the book of John is John. That's not very creative, is it? Um, John wrote the book of John. Now, does anybody remember what happened when Jesus was on the cross? He spoke to one apostle and he asked him a favor. It was John. Anybody remember what he asked him? Was it? Take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. And so, John, who's been taking care of Mary till the end of her days. Now, my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, for over 50 years, took care of my father-in-law's mother. For over 50 years. Some of you think you have in-law problems. <laughs> In other words, she lived with them for over... She died at 103. 103. Is that... Was it 103 or 104? It was 103. Yeah, my wife said in the earlier service it was 103. 100... She got like for like the last few years of her life, she got a letter from the president. Because when you live past 100, you're like... Uh, the president writes you a letter of a happy birthday. Everybody should. Shoot. My goodness. And so, John was like that. He took care of Jesus' mom till the end of her days. Now, the reason I believe this book is because John was the author, I mean, among other things, but John is the author of John. Do you think there was ever a moment across the table, they're having a con gandulas with ham? I have food on my mind. Maybe some pateles on the side. And they're eating. And as they're eating this food, do you ever think that John leans over and goes, Maria, come here. Tell me the truth. Really? Maybe you and Joseph got a little frisky? Huh? Maybe just one time? Not, not virgin birth, maybe? You know he did. After about 20 years, I'd have leaned over and said, no, Mary, now really. <laughs> Angel? He's with her and he penned this. So not only does he have his own personal experience, he has the mother of Jesus. Jesus never sinned? Come on. Give me some dirt. When he was 14, tell me. No. God in the flesh. It's amazing. It makes me believe the Bible more. It makes me believe these words more. So this is John who starts his book with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God ends his book in the same way with Thomas declaring my Lord and my God using Thomas as his example of this, 
I love Thomas. So that's John, that's the author of the book. Now we'll focus on Thomas. Thomas is like you and me. Maybe some of you have been sort of kicking the Christian tires, kind of moving around, hearing about Jesus, learning about Jesus. But you're like, I'm not like these other people who get all emotional. You know, there is power. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, enough. We've sung it 13 times, right? And there's a bunch of you like that, right? And you're like, I'm not, I'm not down with Jesus like that. I think he's a cool guy, but really, everybody's over dramatic about it. Thomas is a guy who's real and who's bold and who's courageous. And Thomas gives you the permission to doubt. But like in this entire series, we've been saying that doubts are okay so long as you take them to Jesus. And Thomas did this very thing. Throughout this series, one of the main ideas and I haven't said this, but I wanted you to know this. Throughout this, uh, this series, the main ideas that I wanted you to get was simply this. That we want that having doubt is okay. It's alright. We want to give you permission to have doubt. But we take our doubts to Jesus. In other words, what I want you to do is I want you to doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Unfortunately, so many of us believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. And it leads to a shipwrecked faith. Don't believe your doubts and doubt your beliefs. Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Well, we're going to see where Thomas, this bold, courageous man who's been walking with Jesus for three years, comes to. You see, many of us think that doubt was born in the 18th century. We think, oh, this is an invention of the modern era. Doubt is. People were sort of mythical back then. They were mystical. They would believe anything. Here's the truth throughout all of history. Dead people stay dead. There's, that has never changed. And Thomas gives us permission to not only have doubts, but to take them to Jesus. And Jesus deals with it in such a beautiful way, I can hardly stand it. It moves me. Let's look. Verse 24. Now Thomas also known as Didymus. He was the twin. We don't know if that means that he just kind of looked like Jesus, so they called him like the twin, like a nickname. Uh, or if he actually had a twin. But that's what they called him. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now, it's awesome because they didn't just, in the Greek, this is, uh, it's a present, um, oh, I don't know these grammatical terms, but I read the commentaries. And so, um, it's a present statement. In other words, they didn't just go, so Thomas didn't just like walk in and say, goes, hey guys, so how was your day? Yeah, we caught a few fish. 
we sweep the floor. Oh, by the way, Jesus showed up and, uh, you know, we had steak. It wasn't like that. It was like, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Yo, Tommy, we're not kidding. Jesus is alive. Tommy, did you hear? Jesus is alive. Over and over and over again. They just kept on telling Thomas. We have seen the Lord. Thomas must have gotten... I'm reading into this, right? It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I have a a sanctified imagination. (laughs) And Thomas must have just heard it over and over and over again. And he's like me and you. He knows dead people don't get out of the grave. He knows that. And he's like, oh gosh, these guys are crazy. These guys are just silly. What are they trying to do? So he just hears it enough and enough. And the very next sentence he says this. But he said, that's Thomas. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now that is an emphatic statement if I ever heard one. Right? Many of you have statements like this. Thomas is trying to make the most extreme statement he can possibly make. He's making it as strong as he possibly can. You know, many of us are like that. Or at least we're like that. Well, if Jesus wants me to believe in him, then why don't he show up right now? You know, we'll say something like that. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. Because many of us have excuses or barriers that we put up to faith in Christ. Well, come on. Do you really believe in creation? Well, come on. Do you really believe that the Bible says that that's a sin? Well, come on. Where are the dinosaurs? Come on, hasn't science proven that the Bible's just full of holes? All of us have barriers and boundaries to believing in Christ. For Thomas, he's got to show up. I've got to touch scars. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Now look up at me. Have you ever wondered why in the Old Testament the Sabbath was always Saturday, but as Christians we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday? Has that ever occurred to you? Like, have you ever wondered about that? Hey, why do we worship on Sunday? Well, here's the reason why. Because for... Thousands of years, Jewish people celebrate, still do, um, celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. But Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday, and every appearance to the disciples happened on Sunday. This statement a week later is literally eight days later. That's what it literally is in the Greek. So that Sunday they showed up, And Thomas wasn't there. Jesus showed up, and Thomas wasn't there, and the disciples saw him. And then the next Sunday later, 
eight days later. So they counted the Sunday, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They went all the way around. And so, as a commemoration, the early church started to celebrate on Sundays, celebrating the resurrection and appearances of Christ. Now that's for free. (laughs) Now you can answer your Seventh-day Adventist friends about why you celebrate on Sunday. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. This time, Tommy's there. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Okay, stop right there. Oh my. If you did not die, and you were alive and just fine, and you were able to get into a place with doors locked, I'm totally impressed, right? You got my vote, right? Okay, you win. But that's what happened. Peace be with you. Isn't that good? The first thing that Jesus says to Thomas and the other disciples is this. Shalom. Isn't that good? And it's bigger than just peace. We don't even have a word for it in English. It's like blessing and favor and joy and prosperity and health and goodness. It's like wishing you the best. What a blessing. It's the first thing that he does. Jesus does that still. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, right? Looks over at Thomas. Tommy, I hear Jesus with a Brooklyn accent, and so, Tommy, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. What a statement. Now, A couple of things. This, I think, Jesus is saying one of those statements. This is the only place I know about this. This is one of those statements that have sort of a a tension to them. Jesus is asking Thomas to do something that I don't think he actually wants him to do. I don't think Jesus really wants Thomas to put his hands. But he's letting Thomas know that he knows. And that's one of the things, especially if you find yourself doubting or struggling. Do you think that all the disciples went to Jesus and said, you wouldn't believe what Thomas said. Thomas said that unless he touches your scars and unless he touches your hands, he won't do it. Could you believe that? Do you think that that's what happened? No. Jesus simply knows. Come close. You know that Jesus knows your doubts even if you don't say them out loud? You know the very doubts that you walk in week after week that you refuse to confess even to yourself? 
Jesus knows about and is just waiting for you to share them with him? Do you know that your doubts don't offend Jesus, but in fact, if you bring them to Jesus, you find their solution in him? You see, we think that saying our doubts, we can't say, oh no, oh, I can't say that. Oh, of course you can. Jesus already knows, beloved. He already knows. So you might as well confess it. You might as well say it. You might as well share it. Jesus knows your doubts. And Jesus can handle your doubts. If you've been trusting Jesus for 50 years, Jesus can handle your doubts. I've got doubts. Do you know I've got doubts? You've got doubts. Jesus can handle my doubts. And you know what I do with my doubts? Well, we've been talking about this entire series. I bring them to Jesus. And there's so many of them that he's totally answered. I'm so encouraged by them. And the ones he hasn't answered, because he's answered so many, I can trust them for because you can't get every question answered, isn't it true? Because if you got every question answered, then it wouldn't be faith, it would be math. See, faith is not a walk in the dark. Faith is not incredulity. Faith is not believing against the evidence. Faith is having received all the evidence you're going to get, making a decision based on the facts you have. And so I have enough facts and enough evidence that I can make a faith decision, not only in Christ, but to trust Him with my very life, my soul, and my eternity. And so can you. So can you. You know... It's like this in everything, isn't it? At your job, you don't know you're going to be there for the next 50 years. But you have enough evidence in the last four or five years. It's had some steady employment. So you have faith that you'll have a job on Monday, tomorrow. You have faith that it'll be there. Isn't that true? And it's not because you're an idiot or because you shut off your brain. No, you have enough evidence for the last few years to know that there's probably a job waiting for you tomorrow. Well, that's not crazy. That's faith. Right? Same thing with Christ. We have enough evidence. And even the questions that we don't have answers. We can trust the ones that are answered and leave the ones that are not answered to him. Tommy, come on, touch these scars. Remember what you said? Stop doubting and believe. Now, do you see, now watch this, Thomas, verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, I want you to look up right here. This The distance between verse 27, you know the space, the paragraph space, between verse 27 and 28, you know in your mind is corrupted. You add stuff that's actually not there. You know how I know you know? 
Isn't it true that for every one of us, when Jesus says, touch my hands and touch my side, in your mind's eye, Thomas actually walks over and touches his side and touches his hands? Isn't it true in the video that you just saw? That's exactly what they depicted. Isn't that true? See, in your mind and my mind, Thomas walks over, touches it and goes, now I really believe. Could you imagine that actually happening? Could you imagine all doors being locked, the dead guy appearing in the room, and then speaking to you, and you going, well, I'm not sure, I might as well verify that. Somebody get me my plastic gloves. Alright, let's investigate here. Let's see. Come on, Jesus. Open your hand. Go on. Could you imagine John uh, Thomas doing that? Not in a million years. Thomas stood there in stunned silence. Thomas saw the risen Christ and then exclaimed the greatest confession in the history of the world. My Lord, my God, he worshipped. You know why? Because all of Thomas's excuses, and what I mean by excuses is, got to touch his hands, got to touch his side, they evaporated at seeing Jesus. Once Thomas saw Jesus, all of his excuses were gone. You know, once you see Jesus, all of your excuses will be gone as well. All of your... Listen to me. I was on the BQE and it struck me that these 12 apostles all died for the cause of Christ. And you go, hold up, so what? All throughout history, men have died for what they believed. Let's look at the World Trade Center. There were men who had a belief system and they died for what they believed. So you, so what if they believed it? They just simply believed a lie. How could you say that that's proof for Jesus rising from the dead that all these men died for what they believed? Because I'm not saying that they died for what they believed. I'm saying they died for what they saw. And there's a difference. It's a huge difference. All throughout history, it's true. Men have died for what they believed. And that belief has been false, i.e. World Trade Center. But there's not a man in the history of the world who's ever died for what he saw and lied about it. That is preposterous. Think about it. The only two reasons that someone dies, uh, someone dies, there's a million reasons why some people die. The only two, two reasons that someone lies is to gain a pleasure 
or to avoid the pain. Isn't it true? Okay, teenagers, isn't that true? Yeah. Old folks, isn't that true? Yeah, absolutely, right? So, you know, Meatloaf is there with his girlfriend and they're in the back of the car and he says, I'm going to love you till the end of time. Anybody remember that song? Wrong crowd. All right. Um, okay. Um, and so, so what does he do? He lies to gain a pleasure. A lot of you guys know exactly what that's like. You lie to gain a pleasure. In fact, you're married to the pleasure you got because you were lying from jump. <laughs> or something like that. Or, you lie to avoid a pain. Did you do this report? No, that was Smith. (laughs) You should fire him. Right? Avoid a pain, gain a pleasure. Let's think of the apostles. If they went around saying they saw, not believed, they did not die for a belief, they they died for what they witnessed. If these apostles, and by the way, there's not one in history who recants. You would think at least one of them would break down. Not one of them recants. Every one of them dies with the exception of the one that I just told you earlier before. One of them gets tied, each limb, leg, leg, arm, arm, to a separate horse. They say, recant and say, Jesus is not Lord. I can't do it. They strike the horses and the horses go in four different directions. Now, think about this. That's just one. There was another James who was run through with the sword. We got beheadings. Peter was crucified upside down. John was boiled in oil and eventually died on a prison island. I could go down the list. These guys did not die well. And every one of them, listen to me, when I die, the coroner's report will say heart failure or, you know, got hit by a truck or got shot or I don't know how I'm going to die. But... The coroner's report is going to give a report. You know what the coroner's report would have to be for each one of these 12 guys? Believed in Jesus. Witnessed the resurrection. That was the reason they were killed. So think about this for a second. What's the pleasure that they gain? Well, absolutely nothing. Life is much easier if they say that Jesus is not Lord. What's the pain that they avoid? Nothing. They, all the pain in their life was compounded because they continue to confess that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord. Think about that for a second. Now, if they lied, they had to know that they were lying. That simply does not happen. 
you get to the point of death and you just go, okay, no, de verdad, my bad, oh my gosh, um, this has gone too far, um, you know, we were just doing this to get a couple of extra dollars. People were putting some money in the offering basket. I hear things about a Cadillac that I would like to get eventually. And that's why we were doing this. My bad. Okay. I would like to go home now. Can you please let me go? That's the way that would go. You know, at least one of them would do that. But they didn't die for what they believed. They died for what they saw. True story. I'm about, I don't know... Eight, nine, ten, something. Me and my brother are outside in the backyard. Um, it's a railroad apartment. You know how like the bathroom goes like that? And it's just we were in the part of the yard where my father couldn't see us, and we were playing in the yard. Well, my father woke up because he uh, he worked through the night and sleep through the day, and so he gave us permission to go back into the backyard. But he didn't give us permission to go outside because it was a very bad neighborhood where we were growing up. Well, we were in the backyard. My father um, wakes up. He can't see us. We're playing in the backyard. We don't see him, obviously, because we're working on whatever, digging for gold or something. And um, Right? Did anybody else dig for gold in the parks in the backyard? Yeah. I found some. It really wasn't. But I thought it was. And so... Um, we go upstairs, and my father's there, and he's on fire. Do you have a father who was on fire? My father was on fire. And my father was the toughest guy in the world, right? My father could beat up Chuck Norris. Like, my father was a bad man. He was a truck driver, and he was just one of those stereotypical t- truck drivers. And um, he said, where were you? And we told him the truth. He said, we were in the backyard playing, looking for gold, whatever it was. He says, no, you weren't. I looked outside and I didn't see you there. I said, no, no, no. We were, you know, my brother and I were telling him the story. Well, he did that for about 20 minutes. And then he took it up another level. And he went, (coughs) took off his belt. And this happened. Oh, I can't do it because my, my power pack is strapped to it. Uh, all right. He didn't have a power pack. He went like this. Then he went like this. Now, does anybody know what this means? If you are on the wrong end... Now, for those who are hearing me, they have no idea what's going on. I just took off my belt and I folded it in half. Now, this... If you are on the wrong side of this, it's a bad day. It's a bad day. Officially. Well, he took off his belt. And for me, it must have been, I don't know, the belt... My belt is about an inch wide. His belt was like, I don't know, like four or five feet wide. And... um, it had a cat and nine tails and it had bone at the end of it. Like, that's what it looked like to me in my little tiny mind. And he said, now, Edwin, tell me the truth. And I, I, I did. I said, Papi, really, we were outside in the yard. He goes, Edwin, look at me. And that was it. And I looked at him and I knew 
It didn't matter what we told him. It dawned on me. This punishment was going to come no matter what I said. But he gave me an out. He said, Edwin, if you tell me the truth, I'm only going to hit Junior. I'm not going to hit you. True story. Because I was the younger one. Because I was the younger one. And I said, we were out in front. Junior got the poor Junior. He was on my eighth step. Um, it's one of those moments in life where you regret deeply. Junior got the beating of his life. Like there was blood taken out of his legs. It was awful. But the truth could not keep me from wanting to avoid a pain. The apostles were faced with much more severity than a, a belt whooping. It was death. And even if it was true, death is pretty final. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then there's no hope of heaven. Because there's no resurrection from the dead. And yet, because they had the hope of the resurrection of the dead, because they actually saw a guy do it, they could say, kill me. I'm only going to rise from the grave with my king. They counted their lives as nothing. Because they saw. They did not believe what they they did not believe a philosophy. They did not believe what they heard. They believed what they witnessed. And we can trust their witness. Because they paid for their witness with their lives. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He didn't have to touch Jesus' scars. His excuses were evaporated. And our excuses need to be as well. But, but what about, what about, what about, listen to me. It's true. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. And Thomas goes, yeah, absolutely. And then Jesus gives his final beatitude. His final beatitude. He says this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's you and me. You're blessed. Many of you have not seen. But you believe. It's a gift He's given you. You can't even explain it. At this point, I would have to say, I can't not believe. He made, he made it real. He made me see Him. I have the evidence. I have His indwelling Spirit. I have His comfort during times of great weakness and brokenness. Times when you just don't think you can go on anymore. He says, you could do one more step, Edwin. I'll help you. He'll do the same for you. 
We have Him. He's our Lord and our God. You're blessed if you believe. And then John ends his book the way he started it. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, listen to me, that you may believe. You ever wonder why John wrote the book of John? That's the purpose clause of the entire book. That's the purpose of the whole book. That you might confess with Thomas that Jesus is not a good teacher. There are plenty of other teachers. You could find Jesus' teaching in several different other religions and be fine. He's not just a prophet. You could find prophets in other religions and be fine. Jesus is boss and God. He's Lord and God. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Live. I proclaim a blessing over this congregation right now. Live. Live in Christ. In His name. Don't live in your name. Don't live according to your addictions, your passions, your pleasures. Live in His name. And so in about 90 seconds, for those of you who've never seen Jesus as God and boss, I'm going to ask you to stand. In 90 seconds, not yet. Those of you who already know Jesus, I have a word for you. It's true. You're not crazy. It's true. Believe and grow. For those of you who do not know Jesus, I offer you the invitation of a lifetime. To see Jesus as both boss and God. You go, but I don't believe the Bible. That's okay. I believed in Jesus long before I believed in the Bible. You go, but I don't believe in Genesis and the creation thing. That's fine. I didn't believe it either. I believe in Jesus. We start with Jesus and we work. Isn't it true, those of you who already believe, isn't it true you started with Jesus and then sort of worked your way backwards, right? And here's how this happens for most of us, right? We believe in Jesus and you go, do we really? Does that sex thing still apply? Right? Like we work our way back, right? But we start with Jesus. So start with Jesus. Oh, but I have this kind of lifestyle. Okay. Start with Jesus. Let's start with Jesus. And then let Jesus be the boss. Let Him direct you. But let's start 
Which is, oh yeah, but does that mean that I might be passing uh, uh, rice in China, you know, as a missionary or something like that? No, 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 no. Please, listen to me. Start with Jesus. In other words, all of your excuses, all of your hands and scars, all of your placing your, your fingers in his side and fingers in his hands, all of your excuses, they have to evaporate. I think some of you are seeing Jesus right now for the first time. For the first time. And so for those of you... Now, whenever I make this invitation, I can't help but do it in such a way where people who have already surrendered their lives to Christ 33 other times surrender their life to Christ again. Now, I understand the concept of, of wanting to say, you know what, I need to sort of recommit. In other words, I've strayed from God. And maybe you're here. And maybe, you know, maybe a pretty girl at work invited you and you thought, well, this is a step in the right direction. Or, um, you know, or maybe, you know, somebody promised you lunch. Or maybe you're here because your wife forced you to or your husband demanded that you show up. I don't know why you're here. But listen to me. You're here because God wanted you here to know that Jesus Christ is risen. And that he makes all the difference in your life. And not only does he make the difference in your life to take away your sins, to take away your shame, but listen to me, listen to me for everything in life. Whether you're dealing with doubt, you go back to Jesus. If you're dealing with a struggling marriage, you go back to Jesus. It's our pleasure in Jesus that's the solution. It's our joy in Christ that's our heaven. It's our giving up our idols and worship and saying, well, God, I could be happy if only I had that. Jesus is going, no, that's not true. Stop it. Give it up. Be happy in Christ. Because Christ can give you joy. Even if she says she won't marry you. Even if he plays you dirty. Even if the business goes under even if you have to change your lifestyle, even if your questions aren't answered, He can make you joyful in Christ. In about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand for those of you who don't know Christ. And what I'm going to ask you to is to make Him the boss of your body. That's what Lord and God means. The boss of your body. And so, there's a million reasons why you can't do it now. There's a million reasons why you could just say, no, 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 I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. Say, you know what? I'm, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And then, and then he's going to help you grow. In Christ. And if the marriage continues to go horribly, He's going to help you to endure it. And if the health fails, He's going to continue to be there with you. 
And if the children never do get better, He's going to hold your hand throughout the whole process. And if everything happens the way you wished only better, He'll help you to navigate through that as well. Come to Him. Come to Him. It's on account of three. If you want Jesus to be the boss of your body from now on, the Lord and God, I'm going to ask you to stand. One, two, three. Stand. Heaven rejoices with you. All of heaven rejoices with you. And while we do not know what the future holds, we know who holds the future. And we can trust Him. We can trust Him. I rejoice with you. In my soul, I'm leaping for joy with you. Gus, you're going to lead us in prayer. But I'm going to pray for you guys specifically. Gus will close this service. Let's pray. Lord, there is no doubt that you are good. And we're moved. And we can only imagine the party and the celebration that's going on in heaven. In this unbelievable moment. And so, Father, I pray for fortitude to the faith of the men and women that are standing now. Lord, strengthen them. Draw them to Yourself. Lead them to invite others to this journey with you. Give them a desire as you've already promised for yourself and your word. Father, I pray that they would be, they would have an insatiable appetite to know Jesus. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done not only throughout this service, but throughout this church. Keep on doing it, Lord. We want to see Jesus glorified. Yes. yes. We want to see Him glorified. Yes. You are powerful. Thank you. So fortify their strength. Strengthen them even now. Yes. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand, hold our positions.